What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle John. And I am Uncle John. The cats are both up here on my desk. They think that this lamp is going to somehow warm them. I think it's all psychological because there is absolutely no heat coming off these LEDs. But somehow they feel better. Now, this one I can sort of understand because he's got his butt backed up to the to the PC tower. So there may be a little bit of heat coming out of the bottom of that. But uh, yeah, I don't understand. And I always wonder how a cat's mind works. I'm not sure I really want to know honestly but all right today's stories come from malicious compliance and this is a new video i know some of you guys get a little bit weirded out when i you know do cluster uploads from the other channel when i'm transferring everything over i have started putting in the title uh re-up in parentheses so that you can tell that it's a re-upload but still there's a lot of you that haven't seen those stories so it's cool for you to be able to see those and the other ones who want to watch them again can and if not you know what they are so you can avoid them Anyway, the ones that aren't marked are new, so there you go. All right, let's do some malicious compliance. Oh, right, you're the boss. I'm a pretty hardworking but laid-back kind of person. I don't really look for credit. I like doing a good job, but my job is not my life, so I don't really care if people don't appreciate all the work I do behind the scenes. My life is at home, not at work. Last year, I got a new boss. He had his own style, but instead of asking me about what I did, etc., he figured he knew it all. For various reasons, he was my boss, but he couldn't really get rid of me. For several months, we had a lot of situations that, because of my experience, I knew how to handle, but he would overrule me. I let it go because it wasn't my problem. Then it would blow up. Lots of stuff like that. Last year in early November, I mentioned that in the past, along with the Christmas bonus checks, previous bosses have also sent things like flowers, candy, gift cards, etc. to the homes of employees. I usually took care of it. He said that he would take care of it. Then he didn't. So Christmas week panic sets in and he tells me that he needs me to do it. Fine. But he emails me messages that he wants addressed on each gift. Thanks for all the hard work, etc. I bring to his attention that I had some thoughts on some of the messages he wanted me to include. He snapped back at me. Just write what I asked you to. I think I know what I'm doing. So a few days before Christmas, one of our employees came home to a gift card to a local seafood restaurant with a note. I hope you and Katie enjoy this restaurant. Oh dear. Katie died in a... I shouldn't laugh, <laughs> but the irony, Katie died in a tragic car accident four months previously. At that time, my boss sent flowers, which I took care of, and he attended the wake. How dumb can you be? I knew the employee pretty well, and I knew this would be the kind of thing that would bring him a lot of laughs because he hated the boss already. Okay, so it's not so bad that I laughed. The boss looked like a complete ass, and a good guy who was sad at Christmas got a great laugh. Win-win. I always sort of feel a little bit guilty when I laugh around stories that really aren't that funny um i laugh at funerals i i that's my way that's my stress filter i i tend to handle stress by being a wise ass you know making jokes remembering the good times and things like that because you know who wants to sit there and watch this fat guy with the snot running down his beard and everything and just just ugly crying you know uh, i'm not saying it never happens but for the most part that's my way of dealing with stress and sadness and just overall hard times and that boss is a complete boob, but he's far from the only boob around. Like I told you previously, my mom worked for lawyers for years in attorney's offices. Sometimes it was an office with just one attorney, like a, you know, owner-operator type thing. Another time it was uh, in a partnership. And always they would have the legal secretaries deal with their, you know, their cards that were sent out to employees, their condolences sent out to clients and things like that. And they never knew. They never actually knew what was going on. And that's just setting yourself up for a bad time. You know, when you show up, like you said, 
Hey, how's the wife? Oh, she died four months ago. Oh, crap. And there you go. Oh, yes. Please copy edit and proofread. Be my guest. The boss has been reaming me out for the past two days for being late on low stakes client presentations. Said presentation was one I volunteered for because no one in my tiny overworked team had time to take it. Despite my profuse apologies, she continues to barrage me with really mean personal slacks saying my work is embarrassing and insulting and I'm lazy. So now I'm the deck, racing to redo all the work so the second version is up to snuff. She offers to copy edit one of the ideas to be about winter sports instead of BMX and then proofread it to speed things up. I say yes. The presentation goes out to the client. Once I've had a chance to pee and get coffee, after hours of working nonstop, I open up the dock and look at the skiing idea. Turns out crisp white powder and crisp white, the word that's formed when you lose the D in powder, have two very different connotations. <laughs> oh my God, I just got that. <laughs> Another boss who thinks she knows it all, can do it all, and... Uh, I don't know if she made the correction and left it that way or if she missed his mistake, but uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. Christmas Employee Appreciation Day. This happened a few years ago, but being this time of year, it always makes me laugh to think about it. I worked at this place for close to 14 years, and I've always been the type of person to put up with a lot. We always had our Christmas Employee Appreciation Party in January, as December was crazy busy. I had only been there a few months when we were told about when and where the party would be. A few weeks before, there was a memo posted in the staff room titled, The Rules of Going Out. I kid you not. Basically, it was the owner's rules of how things were going to go down for our party. It went like this. She liked to use lots of capital letters and exclamation marks. 1. The party is for employees only, no spouses. 2. I will pay for one drink only. 3. You can have an appetizer or dessert not both. Four, attendance is mandatory. Holy cow. I thought it was funny and laughed about it to one of my colleagues. They didn't laugh and told me that the owner wasn't joking. She was dead serious. Keep in mind that at most there would have been 12 people attending and that she would completely write this off as a business expense, so why be so cheap? I didn't want to rock the boat, so the first year I just towed the line. The next year, the same memo appeared a few weeks before the party. Pretty sure she just saved it to the computer and printed it off every year. The second year, and the few years after that, we still went out to a restaurant I thought, fine, you're going to be that cheap and appreciating all the hard work we do all year, plus not treating us very nicely. Fine, cue malicious compliance. Everyone orders their drinks before their meal. I get water. She looks at me and asks, aren't you going to order a drink? I tell her yes, but I'll have it with dessert as I can't drink without eating anything first, which is true. Everyone orders a glass of wine, a cocktail, what have you. We eat our entrees, then the dessert menu comes. I ask if they have a scotch menu. They do, and she has to look at it when I'm done with it. They also had those fancy coffees on there as well. I order my dessert and look at the scotch menu and order the most expensive per ounce scotch they have, about 26 bucks an ounce at the time. I'm not going to waste my one drink only on a $7 glass of wine. I'm getting the most expensive scotch there is, and make a point of savoring it. Mmm, so good. I've never had this one before. I get the death glare, but hey, I'm enjoying my one drink only. Still makes me laugh. I'm not much of a scotch guy. I probably would have went for some kind of whiskey or bourbon, but or if there were one of those places that really only serves wine, I would have found out what their most expensive wine was, you know, a Dom or something like that. And uh, yeah, I probably would have hated it the whole time because honestly, Dom, 
doesn't really taste any better than regular wine. So take that wine, snobs. <laughs> That's just like beers, man. Listen, I love our local microbreweries. I really do. I think it's a good thing. Small business, handcrafted, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's it's good. It's all good. What's not good is the fact that they put so much freaking hops in it and everything's got to be an IPA that sets your damn mouth on fire because all you can take, you might as well just go in the field and chew on hops because the rest of the drink's almost non-existent at that point. To me, it's like going to, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings or something and getting the hottest sauce there is just to prove that you can get it down your gullet. You can't actually taste the chicken. You just know that you had chicken because you saw it and now you have bones. And then God forbid, if you get any sauce around your mouth, it looks like you fell face first off your bike or something, you know? It's just nuts. Note to all the microbreweries. Let's start mixing it up a little bit. Make your IPAs with all the hoppiness. That's great. But then let's let's start working on some other versions too. There's one brewery who comes out with a winter wheat that I just, it's just perfect. And then you have your lagers and your stouts and your porters and things like that. That's great. Mix it up. But not everything needs to be super hopped up. Let some of the grains and the flavors come through, you know? Anyway. Super tangent, John. Uh, let's try reading some stories. Be careful what you order. When I was young, the first time I ate pizza was on a vacation abroad. When I ordered a pizza... Margarita? 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 No. Yeah? As plain of a pizza as it's possible because of my childish tastes. Unfortunately for the vegetable-hating child that I was, to my displeasure, they put tomato slices on the pizza. So while I enjoyed the taste of the pizza itself, the slices had to go else I wouldn't eat it. A while later, when I was back home again, we ordered pizza for delivery. Remembering my only previous experience with pizzas, I was adamant that I had to be without tomato slices. Unbeknownst to me, this had led to a misunderstanding as in my country, the pizza margarita, I'm gonna say margarita, did not have tomato slices to begin with. It's just tomato sauce, cheese, and spices. So what I ultimately revived could be only described as dry, crispy cheese on top of a hard bread bottom. No tomato sauce in sight. That was the time I got punished for my childish tastes. Not sure if the compliance was malicious or that they thought it was an allergy as I wasn't in the pizza store when they complied. Edit. I changed S-A-U-S to sauce for that one guy who hated my spelling mistake. Don't worry, OP. There's lots of people out here, even on my channel, who hate my spelling, even though I don't write 99.9% .9 of this stuff, and uh, who hate the way I pronounce things because, you know, why would I know how everything in the world is pronounced? Yet I could probably take those same people on a construction site and they would misname every freaking part there was that I pointed out on the house, you know, bare bones skeleton. And uh, yeah, because it's unreasonable for them to know things like that, but I should know everything they know. By the way, I don't mind being corrected. It's the ones who really make a big deal out of it. And yeah, they're the special ones. And the good news is most of those guys have disappeared. So now it's just you guys and me and the cats. My aunt and uncle told me not to tell on them. When I was really little, my grandparents lived on the farm, and their youngest two children were 12 and 14 years older than me. I was about three years old, and grandma sent me outside to get my aunt and uncle and cousin who was over. I went out and found them smoking behind the pole barn. I told them that grandma wanted them. They said, okay, don't tell grandma we're smoking. So I walked back in the house, and grandma asked me, what did they say? And I said, they said, don't tell grandma we're smoking. <laughs> grandma was a little startled, but never said anything about it. Well, I mean, what do you expect when you tell a three-year-old something like that? I'm not sure I'd expect an eight-year-old to act any different, quite honestly. Uh, yeah. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed. I just happened to look in the monitor, and I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but uh, the piles have grown. I'm hoping in another few days here, we're coming up on Christmas, that we can 
clear some of these piles out and I can actually like walk around the bed without falling over things in the middle of the night. And uh, yeah, I'm already a klutz. I don't need help falling down. Want us to strictly follow company policies? No problem. Hello everyone, first post here on mobile and not a native English speaker, so forgive my mistakes. I hope this will satisfy your hunger of malicious compliance. This MC comes from a few years ago when I was working as an external developer for a software house. The team was great and the lead developer, let's call him Mark, was simply the best to work with. He was a very skilled developer and also with the ability to easily coordinate the team's tasks. We also had a manager, John, who was also very friendly and easy to talk to. Our job was going smoothly. The company tracked the progress of the various projects in a software where John divided them into various steps. John set up these steps very broadly, like analysis, initial setup, development, release, maintenance, etc., to avoid creating too many of them. We then needed to input the time we spent on each of these steps. If the project was missing some steps or hit the budget cap, we couldn't input our timesheets and technically weren't allowed to start working. Per company policy, our duty was to inform our direct superior about this issue, in this case, Mark. He then should have informed John, who finally would have to increase the cap. As the good manager that he was, John knew all these steps were a huge waste of marks in our time. So he allowed us to temporarily sign our timesheets locally and start or continue our work, gather himself all of our cap increase requests together, do all of them simultaneously, then directly let us know we could input our timesheets in the software. Then the company got acquired by a hedge fund. Suddenly a lot of new middle managers appeared, and John was moved to a higher position in a different department. To replace him, they hired Phil. Phil tried to present himself as the open to everyone's requests type manager, but it became obvious pretty quickly that he was more of a I'll stick to company policies as hard as I can kind of guy, probably to appeal to his ego or some higher up. First thing he did was to completely change the project's organization to better check the project advancement. Now in a project, every task, every little change had its own step and budget cap. Remember that if the step was not in the software, we weren't allowed to start working on it. He then enforced our daily timesheets input. It became mandatory to input them at maximum the next day so we could be more responsible about marking the project's progress. It could have been okay if it wasn't for the fact that project budgets were drastically reduced. Basically, after reaching the middle of our developments, we already reached those caps and couldn't insert any more timesheets. When we started asking Phil about creating those steps or raising the budget caps, like we did with John, he quickly redirected us to Mark, as that was the company policy and the proper chain of command. Mark's job quickly became hell, as he basically had to spend half a day asking Phil to create project steps or raise caps. We knew we were bothering Mark, and he knew we couldn't do anything else. He tried to talk to Phil about easing these policies, but without success. At the end of the month, everyone was behind with the timesheets input, and some tasks were not started at all. Phil gathered us, and other teams, and started his rant about how it was our fault since we required too much time to do our job, and this was not acceptable. As our team leader, Mark was particularly targeted and probably missed some bonuses that he had no problem getting when John was the manager. His fault? Not letting Phil know soon enough that steps weren't available or budget caps were reached. It was enough for him. It was time to maliciously comply to company policies. He asked Phil to let us stay some minutes after the meeting to explain to us how to resolve the issues. He agreed, but wanted to stay in the meeting too. Mark calmly said to us, It is imperative that you tell me, and only me, that steps are missing or caps have been reached as soon as you notice. You must send me an email with this precise subject. I'll then inform Phil. Only mail requests will be accepted. 
He remarked various times that the mail needed to have a specific subject format like Project X Step Y Missing or Project X Step Y Cap Reached. And every time he was looking at us with a look that was saying, just do like I say, trust me. We started doing exactly what he told us and soon discovered why he was so confident. A few days passed and an angry Phil stormed into our room yelling at Mark that his behavior was unacceptable and an urgent meeting with the higher-ups was scheduled in a few minutes. Mark went and after about a half hour returned with a satisfied smile on his face and after him came a defeated Phil. He later told us that he basically set up a forwarding rule in his mailbox which forwarded to Phil every single mail whose subjects matched the patterns above with a predefined text like, Dear Phil, I'd like to inform you that the team brought to my attention the fact that Project X is missing step Y or similar. In those few days, he submerged Phil's mailbox with our requests. Phil probably hoped that the outcome of the meeting would have went in his favor, but the higher-ups stated that no company policy was violated. Mark wasn't spamming, as those were all legitimate work-related emails, and it was Phil's duty to appropriately manage the situation. Also, Mark now had proof that he was immediately notifying Phil about the project issues, so nothing could be his or our fault anymore. I stopped working for the company shortly after that, but after a few months, they told me that Phil was demoted and moved to another position with lesser responsibilities. Could you imagine? <laughs> if I'm going to move into a position and take over as management for some project or some department or whatever, I'm going to kind of go by what were the numbers like for the other guy. What did he do that really worked? And I'm going to talk to other lower supervisors and higher supervisors and whatever, and try to get a feel for how things ran. Were the numbers good? Okay. What made them good? Were the numbers bad? What made them bad? Were they really bad? Or was it all just a shell game to try to keep things going until the project was complete? But you know, without any investigation, just come in and start throwing your weight around and nah, 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 I think I know better. Well, yeah, you don't. So Oh, well, what are you going to do? Hey, guys, do me a favor. Click this video right here. Let's keep the fun going. All right. Till the next one. We'll see you.